0: Welcome back everyone to another episode of No Ordinary Cloth, where we talk about the fascinating world of textiles and the people who are pushing its boundaries to bring us some of the most advanced fabrics that will change the very meaning, role and function of textiles as we know it. I'm your host, Millie Tharakin, and I'm passionate about all things textiles. I've been a smart textile maker for over 15 years, where I've seen the future of textiles in the making this podcast will give you a glimpse into that future where there are no ordinary cloth. On today's episode, I am so pleased to introduce you to Daniela Rondinone, a friend and fellow textile geek. She has such a range of experience, right from fashion design, smart textiles, and biotextiles. But on today's show, she is going to tell us all about her current work with a company that is turning garden and green waste into leather. Yes, you heard that right, so stay with us to find out more. Daniela completed her undergrad in textiles and apparel design from Palmero University in 2014 and then became the first ever apparel designer in Argentina to get the prestigious Fulbright scholarship in science and technology to study her master's in textile engineering at North Carolina State University in the U.S., Currently, Daniella lives in the UK and is the business and operations manager at Biophilica, a London-based startup dedicated to the manufacture of leather alternatives. Let's dive right in and speak to Daniella. Daniella, it is an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to dive in about the exciting work you do right now. But before that, I would love to hear a bit about yourself. Where are you from and how did you get interested in working with textiles?
1: First of all, thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. I'm really excited to share my journey on textiles. I'm originally from Argentina, specifically from Buenos Aires. I did my bachelor's in design in textiles and apparel. And during that time, I gathered um, knowledge in different areas of designing garments. I started exploring textile techniques, mainly for the aesthetics part of it. And when I was about to finish my degree, I had to do a graduation project. And as part of that, I did the research on proposing the use of image consulting for helping patients that face bariatric surgery. Mm -hmm. So during that time, I got really interested in using or combining fashion and healthcare to disciplines that seem really different, but that can be very collaborative. And how can you use fashion and textiles for a good use. And yeah, that was a really exciting project for me. Years after that, I started my uh, own business on doing that image consulting service. But at some point I felt that my knowledge in fashion uh, could really benefit from having deeper knowledge on technical textiles. And I also realized that if I wanted to make a bigger impact on patients' quality of life, a bigger um, exploration on how can you use materials for Mm -hmm. um, more healthcare applications. I knew I had to go down the route of technical textiles. That's why I pursued my Master of Science in textiles.
0: I remember we spoke back in 2020 and you had just graduated uh, from your master's in the US and where you had been researching smart textiles. Could you share a bit about your interest in smart textiles and what you did?
1: Back then, it was a more um, novel thing. So that was the first thing that got my interest into it. I was also curious to see how two disciplines that seem so different, such as Textiles and electronics could be combined together. Mm. And also during that time, I was already very interested in combining textiles for medical applications. And the fact that you could put sensors into a textile material for me was really interesting because when you think about using textiles for healthcare applications, you need to think about that there would be a patient that might be your final customer, but then there's also a healthcare professional that's treating that patient. So the fact that you could put different sensors that would collect data and that the healthcare professional could use that data to better treat the patient, to me was a really interesting idea and I saw a lot of potential in that.
0: Amazing. I know that what took you to the U.S. uh, was a Fulbright Scholarship in Science and Technology And you were the first ever Argentinian apparel designer to receive this amazing scholarship. How did that happen? How did you feel back then, especially because it's a science and technology? Scholarship. Tell us a bit about that experience.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of my greatest accomplishments uh, personally. And at that time, uh, I was living in Argentina. I had finished my bachelor's degree. I had been working for a few years and I wanted to do a master's in textile engineering. And back home, we don't have that type of degree yet. So I started looking into options, and the US seemed like a really good place to do that. But of course, Tuition costs are high, and especially coming from Argentina, that was very challenging. Yeah, I kept thinking, I still want to do this, so how can this happen? And I started reaching out to different organizations, and I found out about this type of scholarship. And to be able to pursue these scholarships, you need to take different exams, one of those being the GRE that has a lot of components in mathematics and geometry. And yeah, it was really... Wow. Tough work, (laughs) Uh, going through all that process. And yeah, I just kept researching information, studying from books, kind of talking to previous scholars that went through the same journey. And I applied to different scholarships and I finally got that one in science and technology. And when I entered into the group with the other scholars, I realized I was the only (laughs) apparel designer, (laughs) but it was very motivating for me also to know that i could open the path to other students with similar backgrounds and uh, to motivate other students and in the sense that just because you didn't study a stem degree in your bachelor's that doesn't mean you cannot pursue certain master programs and yeah it's just a matter of just keep trying and studying and looking for the information and yeah don't be afraid of applying (laughs) yeah
0: that's amazing, Daniela. And, and that's the story I'm hoping uh, listeners take away is, is that sort of uh, drive and perseverance that you need when you're setting off into sort of pushing the boundaries of your industry. And in this case, it's textiles and you wanted to do more research and you didn't see the hurdles in front of you as sort of big barriers but something that you could teach yourself that drive to overcome it. I love that and I can see that being a really core part of you that takes you into all the different routes that you've taken in textiles. I mean, you've done such varied work. It's really incredible, really amazing.
1: One thing, sorry, I wanted to add on the previous point was the fact that I feel like it's really important also to identify which knowledge from your previous experience you can bring on to the next thing so right. initially when you say you have a degree in fashion some people think it's not something that's serious or that it's like an easy degree but when you think about it the knowledge you need for creating a garment from going from a two-dimensional plane to a three-dimensional plane all the construction techniques it's a really Engineering. If you think about it, it has a lot of geometry math. So, in in a way, it wasn't that far away as you might think.
0: You're right. In people's worlds, fashion and engineering are so separated, but if you really boil it down, there's so many overlaps. And that I think is also what enabled you to transition into smart textiles. Currently, you're working, again, you've sort of moved from smart textiles into biotextiles. This might be a new term for people listening in, biotextiles. What is it? And what are the most exciting developments that you've seen in this space?
1: biotextiles can get uh, different definitions depending on the context you use it i feel like the two main categories that we can see nowadays is one in terms of the world of leather alternatives and using materials that come from nature or from different microorganisms to give life to a new material And then there's other whole category, which is super interesting, which is the use of biomaterials for healthcare applications. So it's using, for example, textiles into implantable devices. And those materials then get integrated into human tissue and can promote healing and can promote tissue regeneration. So quite different. Maybe one of them has more to do with uh, microbiology and Cell and culturing and things like that whereas the other it's more an external material but I feel like both are really interesting um, I've seen some interesting projects on using 3D printing for example for producing wand dressings so in that way you start seeing all these new areas of research being used together So
0: we talked about fashion, then you brought in, you know, geometry and engineering and electronics, and now you're talking about bringing in biology as well, uh, which is fascinating. Yeah. Could you give us a couple of like specific examples of sort of your favorite projects that you've seen out there or research, interesting research that you're keeping an eye on in the space of biotextiles?
1: I would say, especially with the, how recently we were impacted by COVID, I think that promoted more advances in the field of antimicrobial textiles. So that concept would be combining material science with microbiology and infusing textile materials with different agents that can then promote or inhibit the growth of different microorganisms that can produce infections. So right. that it's kind of one example that we also during the pandemic. Yeah, that particular example, I think it's really interesting.
0: Currently, you work with a company called Biophilica. Yes. Could you elaborate a bit more about the company? Who founded it? And what is its vision? And what does the company do?
1: Yes. So the company was founded around 2019 by Mira. She's the CEO. And it was created with the aim of bringing to the market a leather alternative that would be completely free of plastic. At the point where the company was created, leather alternatives were already emerging in the market. We also saw some examples like uh, materials made with microorganisms like mycelium and things like that. And this um, company, Biophilica, the main proposition is bringing a material that wouldn't have any plastic. It's quite common for certain leather alternatives to use PU coatings or certain layers of plastic because that material brings certain properties to them final leather alternative but in doing so it's hard then to make the final material fully compostable so the main difference about biophilica is the fact that every single layer of the material is completely free of plastic from the coating to the core material called trichine to the adhesive and even the textile backing is also made of natural fibers amazing so that is a really um, good material for brands to use.
0: You talk about leather alternatives and maybe again that might be a new term for a lot of people. Could you define what that means?
1: So initially we are all familiar with the use of natural leather which is um, the skin from different animals that then is used to manufacture bags, belts and footwear and different accessories. And then some decades ago in Another type of material emerged, which uh, we started calling it synthetic leathers, that would be a material that is intended to look like leather and to act like leather, but is made of plastic that is giving the shape of uh, a leather-like material, and it has a textile backing. And then recently, we saw this kind of third category that we are calling leather alternatives, and these are materials that intend to replicate the look and feel of leather but without using plastic so instead of using a polymer all these different companies that we are in the market are trying to use other components Mm. to give a material that has the look and feel of leather but that uh, doesn't come from animals basically
0: right Due to confidentiality concerns I understand that you can't share the details of how you make alternative leather at Biophilica but would you be able to give us an overview of the process of how you start with an autumn leaf and end up with a beautiful roll of plastic-free leather alternative? What are the steps involved and what do you get at the end?
1: Yes, the main production process developed by Mira, the CEO of the company, uh, was using, in addition to having a completely free of plastic material, she thought of, during this process, using different materials that would otherwise end up as waste. So she initially, in the first iterations, she used autumn leaves from London parks, and then um, you would kind of chop that into tiny pieces. And then obviously you need to combine it with other ingredients because on on its own, you cannot form a material. And the journey she and the whole technical team embraced into was looking into which other natural Mm -hmm. ingredients could be used for giving the properties you need on that type of material. Uh, So as part of that different natural components are used. And then also one advantage of, the material is that as part of those ingredients are are added to the waste components. Different pigments are used, natural pigments as well, to give color so that you don't need to do um, a tanning process at the end as you would do with natural leather. During that process is where you need to use a lot of water and energy. So the fact that you can completely eliminate that part is really interesting. And then you end up with um, some sort of paste that then you combine with a textile backing and an adhesive to kind of adhere everything together. That's kind of in a in a summary. <laughs> it's it's more complex than that, but yeah, as a summary to give like a, the general idea.
0: Perfect. I mean, I've seen and touched and held the samples. That you have of these Mm -hmm. um, leather alternative and it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I saw some bags that you've made. It's hard to tell that it's not Mm -hmm. you know the regular leather that we're used to so the quality is absolutely amazing. Some of the main advantages of alternative leather is not relying on slaughtered animals for hide, using less water as you mentioned because the tanning process is eliminated altogether. What are some of the other properties and advantages of using alternative leather?
1: Yeah, so the fact that different to leather, where you have the skin and then you you can apply different treatments only, the fact that with these materials you developed a whole formulation, in each material iteration and, or in each um, category of products means that you have a lot of room for customizing that material. So you can you can have a lot of room for adding properties. You can make it softer, you can make it feel stiffer, mm. you can change different surfaces only on the surface of the material. So there's a lot of room for customizing and adapting it to to have, adopt different touch and feel But I think my favorite one is the fact that you have less waste when you do products. So if you think about natural leather, when we compare it to that, natural leather comes from an animal and it has a certain shape that's irregular. And within that um, height, what you would call it, Mm. you have different qualities so if you needed to create a certain product it's likely that there's a lot of parts that you are not going to be able to use also leather from animals can have defects that come from certain properties of the body of that animal and with this type of material you have a more regular shape so you can make a better use when you think about doing product development and having patterns cut into it you can also have a consistent quality and you can have different thicknesses. So you have right. not only a better use of the whole material when doing product development, development, but also you can have more opportunities for customization. Right. So you get in a way the benefits that you already have with PU and PVC, where you have a material that comes in a roll, mm. but you are closer in look and feel to natural leather. So. You kind of get the best of both worlds, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, fantastic. But how does this leather age? Say this leather after five years, 10 years, Is there been a way of testing how the leather ages over time?
1: Uh, What we do is we work with brands that use our material for developing their products. So most of the testing we perform is at the material level. Um, That being said, we have done a lot of internal and with external laboratories testing on mechanical properties, so flex testing uh, and tensile testing and things like that. And with those type of testing, you do repeated movements over and over. So in a way, you kind of simulate. Yeah, the way the samples look after many cycles on those machines is very similar to what you would expect on leather. Um, So that's the comparison we make. And yeah, we feel fairly happy with the results.
0: That's fantastic. It's so exciting Mm -hmm. that we've got something that is so close to the actual properties and qualities of real leather. Uh, That's quite an achievement. And all of that is made out of waste material. You mentioned that this process of leather making started with autumn leaves found in London parks. Now that you're starting to scale up and demand has increased for your product, Where are you sourcing large volumes of autumn leaves that you need?
1: (laughs) Fortunately, there's a huge quantity of those within the UK, but we have also started to explore other types of waste Naturally, each waste gives you different properties than other materials. So, one area we started to explore is using agricultural waste. That would be, for example, waste that ends up as part of the broccoli or tomato right. production. And we would use only the bits of the production process that are not used for human consumption. So, of course. If it's like a food item, we believe that people should have that for eating. So we don't want to take that away. It's mainly the stems and leaves and that sort of parts that nobody wants to use. So we take whatever (laughs) nobody can use for anything and we turn that into the material.
0: So the process seems flexible enough to handle different types of waste material as well. Oh, I love that. The perfect solution to leather. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What sort of teams, uh, disciplines come together and collaborate to create these kinds of new materials?
1: Yeah. So that's uh, very interesting. Um, In our company, for example, you have um, different disciplines working together. For example, we have expertise in material science, in chemistry, but also in engineering, but because it's not only about the formulation, but it's about getting that formulation into an actual product that needs to be produced using machinery and needs to maintain qualities also textiles that's kind of uh, where i support a lot into the team it's really important when you think about a leather alternative as a material that has a textile backing so um, there's a lot of behavior of textile materials that's very specific Mm -hmm. and um, you benefit from having those disciplines and then as with any type of company you interact with The business side, communications, marketing, the fact that we develop a material and we work with a lot of luxury brands, aesthetics play uh, a big role. So you also need to be aware of that.
0: I mean, I always am a big believer of cross-disciplinary collaboration, and that's what you need to do, uh, I think, to find the best solutions. With new materials, there are also new tools and machinery that needs to be produced. In this case with uh, Biophilica, have you had to uh, manufacture machines as well that is able to turn this solution that you make into leather or are you able to use existing machinery and tweak it a bit to get the results that you need?
1: I would say both. Mm -hmm. Both apply. Um, The fact that, as you say, these are new materials means that sometimes existing equipment will be useful, but other times you need to customize that or you need to build your own equipment. So I, I feel like that's one of the key challenges for all this new materials. Mm-hmm. The fact that certain leather alternatives have been in the market for some time helps a lot. I was recently yeah. visiting ITMA and I spoke with yeah a lot of manufacturers and a lot of them were really familiar with uh, this type of materials and even working with some of our competitors. So I feel that helps a lot. Yeah, that means there's more awareness and they start building experience in working with similar formulations or, yeah, similar challenges.
0: Yeah, it's good to see the whole industry sort of aligning slowly towards these new materials and and getting that supply chain process put in place so that this becomes a much more easily scalable, producible material. What are some of the key challenges, if any, in scaling up such a solution? It's easy to make sort of small batches and volumes, but the hope is that one day we can replace Old natural leather? And how is your company specifically trying to overcome them?
1: Yeah, so I would say the key challenge is what we were just discussing is the machinery. Um, There's a lot of innovative solutions you can come up at the laboratory level and some minor tweaks. But transferring that into a bigger scale and that's where the challenges come. I would say probably also another challenge is the fact that there are no degrees in university for having experts in leather alternatives so uh, you need to be quite creative in coming up with these teams that have different areas of expertise that can all work together Towards that, So yeah, the way we work around that is doing a lot of collaborative work, having a wide range of areas of expertise within the company. And then in terms of the scale up, we try to work really closely with manufacturers and suppliers. So yeah, visiting exhibitions like ITMA and then having a lot of calls and site visits with these companies really help. Yeah in trying to find the proper machinery or customize some of the existing equipment in order to produce bigger quantities.
0: Has there been a need to start developing standards for the industry? Because I do see a lot of alternative leather options coming up these days. And just as a consumer, you don't really know what difference is, if it's got plastic in it or not. Is there some work towards helping consumers understand the difference between these biotextiles, but also uh, alternative leather?
1: I think we would need dedicated standards. I haven't seen any particular committees working on that in one of Mm. the main kind of textile organizations, whether it's ATC or like yeah. similar groups, maybe there there is, but I feel like that's a huge need because when you think about these materials, they don't fall into the traditional categories. So if you were to use standards made for natural leather, it wouldn't be a fair comparison yeah. or a fair target. That's what yeah most of the companies in this area end up using, and that's what usually the brands request. But it's not quite the same. I feel like in the next couple of years, we should have dedicated standards, especially considering the huge amount of brands emerging, uh, companies emerging in this area. I feel like we need standards that particularly consider leather alternative that's not made of PU or that doesn't yeah. come from a, from a real animal and that has the textile backing. Yeah, I yeah. think there's a real need. Maybe somebody, hopefully somebody's already working on it.
0: What does the end-of-life process look like for a material like this?
1: Yeah, the fact that we deliver the material to the brand means that we don't have full control of what happens in that case. But from our work and from what we can do, we make sure that we only use natural ingredients in every single layer of the material. That means that you can end up with a fully compostable material. Oh, and amazing. that's that's a thing that also creates some confusion so if you made if you make a product from this material and you go out on the street and it rains it doesn't mean that your bag will fall apart yeah. it 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 <laughs> means that if you put the material into certain conditions with soil and microorganisms, then those yeah. uh, that environment and those microorganisms would be able to break down the material. So I think Amazing. that's an important thing to differentiate.
0: Yeah. So I'm imagining I've had my leather bag for 15 years and then I just chuck it into my home compost bin and it could do the job and it and it's done. There's no waste produced. Yeah, Amazing. What kind of industries have you seen the most traction from for Bioleather?
1: I have seen a lot of interest from luxury brands. Mm. They seem really keen in this type of new materials and also a lot of interest from more smaller independent brands like younger designers, people that are creating their first collections of accessories or footwear, or bags and they want to create a real change and a real impact. By having calls with different brands, I realize that fortunately, most of the times there's a real interest in adopting these materials and they ask a lot of questions. So it's not only about the hype or saying like, um, yeah, it's a sustainable material, yeah. so we'll use it. They really want to make sure that what we claim is true and they ask for the appropriate testing and LCA yeah. information yeah. and Things like that, so I thought that was really good because brands want to do the right thing, basically.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and I guess the cry is really coming from the the consumer at the end, isn't it? Who who wants to understand uh, where these products are made, how is how it's made? You want all of that information now, and I think uh, it's exciting to see brands having to sit up and take this seriously. That actually brings us nicely to the next question, which was about pricing. Is it affordable? Is it attractive enough?
1: Yeah, it, it's definitely attractive. And as I was saying earlier, the fact that you have so many customization options means that you can then come up with different qualities, mm. which is really useful because you want to work with luxury brands, but you also want your material to be available for bigger audiences. Yeah. So it's all about the type of ingredients, raw ingredients you use. Some are more expensive than others. Same with the textile backing, for example. You can have, yeah, different qualities. So it's all about having a really good material and within that having the different qualities, um, depending if you're making a luxury watch or if you're making a more mainstream bag, but giving the option to both type of consumers to benefit from these materials. Yeah.
0: Fantastic, what role do you see biotextiles playing in the future of fashion and accessories, and how might they change the way we think about clothing itself?
1: I think it's gonna be very interesting and very key role in terms of sustainability. I remember when I first studied uh, studying fashion in two thousand and 10, roughly. Uh, The main initiatives around sustainability were in terms of recycling clothing or using scraps from your pattern making process to produce accessories. And all those initiatives, while very interesting and good at that time, I feel were kind of naive or maybe having less impact. So the fact that we can nowadays Talk about producing materials that can be fully biodegradable and that you can maybe produce the material for the specific quantities you need. Even maybe in, in the future, you can produce a specific shape that you need for a pattern so you don't have any waste at all. I feel that's kind of another big change for the industry. And with all these new leather alternatives, the more companies that are in the area, and the more conferences, and the more we improve. The communication of these initiatives, then consumers will be also be more aware. So, yeah, I feel like a few years ago, maybe some consumers thought that PU or PVC was kind of a sustainable <laughs> alternative to natural leather. And I feel like now people are more conscious that those materials contain plastic. So, uh, it doesn't make them bad materials, but I feel like people now have more information on what's behind each material and they can better select each one depending on their preferences. Yeah. And the same with brands, they have a more clear idea on which materials to use for different products depending on what they need. So I feel like it's looking really promising for the yeah. fashion industry.
0: Exciting. We've talked in depth about uh, leather alternatives and biophilica. I'd love to now get to know you a bit more, Daniela, and your personal journey and what inspires you. Firstly, I was curious to find out if you had any role models or people who really inspired you and encouraged you to go down the road that you have.
1: Yes, I can think right now of a really good professor I had when I was doing my undergraduate um, called Patricia, Patricia Doria, and she was really. I guess in my journey in in terms of fashion and textiles she was a really motivating person and her classes were so interesting and um, the message was always to keep learning and looking what's out there so at that time yeah I was doing my degree in Argentina and for us certain things that we would look at from US or Europe seem distant or impossible. And she would always keep motivating students and trying us to find ways to replicate the same things uh, and find innovative ways in terms of if we don't have certain technologies or certain tools, how can we still produce a really good quality design and product Finding alternative ways, I would say, and yeah, she was really supportive. I then started working as a professor in the program she coordinated in the university, and when I decided to um move to the u s to do my degrees, she was really supportive, and now we still keep in touch, and I uh, write for the publication she coordinates in argentina, so um yeah, I feel like that yeah, that was a really good relationship
0: <laughs> Oh lovely. For me, fabric textiles is really powerful. It's much more than just the functionality of it. It speaks to our, I think, our soul, not just our senses. Is there a piece of textile or clothing that holds very special personal memories or meaning for you? And could you share about that with us?
1: I can think of a lot of examples because I've been working with textiles. I started learning how to sew when I was 15 and all the way since then, I, I've been using textiles in different ways. I would say one type of material that I kind of kept close to or that is of particular significance for me would be the textiles I produced for my master's thesis. So that was the first, yeah. I would say, material that I created from a yard. Before that, I had been using textiles that were supplied by different companies into making garments. But that was the first one that I, in a way, created, of course, with the use of machines. And it was a really interesting journey because um, as part of that research, I worked with different industry collaborators um, that provided antimicrobial yarns or treatments. And then I worked internally at NC State with the laboratory that where you can do different surface finishes on the textile. So I feel like the finished material, if you look at it, it's a white piece of fabric that seems... Yeah, it it simulated the construction of a bed sheet. So if somebody else were to look at it, maybe they wouldn't see anything special about it. But uh, for me, it kind of reminds me the whole journey and in Absolutely. a way, all yeah. the different yeah. team members and different key people that made that possible kind of so yeah <laughs> and all of that happened during COVID that made it more special.
0: <laughs> right yeah even more special. I know I asked you a lot of questions but is there a question you wish I had asked you and I didn't? Is there anything you want to share?
1: Yeah I maybe I would like to touch on kind of the current state of or the importance I would say of academia and industry collaborations. So I think in these in all these examples we've been discussing about new materials and leather alternatives and e-textiles and all these different things, I feel like it's really important that the industry and the academia can work together. Oftentimes in industry there are you see really fast-paced environments, and especially for these new companies or new startups. Oftentimes you don't have very sophisticated equipment to characterize materials, for example, which makes sense as a startup. Um, mm-hmm. You cannot go and start spending uh, millions in, yeah. in fancy equipment. <laughs> um, at the same time, academia usually has all those resources, but sometimes the more commercial aspect of uh, running a business is not that much studied. Or is not that um such a priority, so I feel like both worlds have a lot to benefit from each other, and it's really important for yeah to engage in grant projects and have placement students and all these different things that could close a little bit the gap between those two worlds, and also within that you can then engage with different schools, especially for these new materials you need disciplines from design you need engineering you need material science you need chemistry so engaging with different universities can make that possible I think that's really important
0: absolutely I think that's a brilliant point that you brought up you sort of just briefly mentioned that you started making garments when you were 15 how did you get started and what was the first thing that you made (laughs) yeah
1: so when I was in elementary school and high school, I would always like taking classes and courses of artistic things. So I learned how to um, draw, paint. I would enjoy doing sculpture. And I was in high school at that time. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends had just started a pattern making course at a institute called FLEGO in Buenos Aires. It was an Italian pattern making system that this Italian couple brought to the country and she had just started and I got curious I always enjoy doing things with my hands so I was like okay I'm I want to do that with you I'll I'll join and it's funny that after three months she quit the course because she found it (laughs) yeah boring and I kept going and as part of that the first thing I did was a skirt that I still keep yeah. Oh,
0: that is very special. Yeah,
1: yeah that, that would be
0: one. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that, Daniela. And as we come to the end of this conversation, I wondered if you could just leave the details of uh, Biophilica, your website, email, uh, so that those listening in, if they're curious to find out more or even want to source some of the uh, beautiful leather alternatives that you have, um, how they can get in touch with you.
1: Yeah, so we have a website, biophilica.co.uk, that has the main information about the company and a contact form that people can use to get in touch with us. And also we are present in different material libraries, so oftentimes customers can look at the material through that. And uh, we are really active in social media. So if we are about to participate in any um, upcoming event, then we would announce that as well so that people can uh, look at it.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Daniela, it's been an absolute pleasure. I love just your curiosity and your determination. And, you know, even when you were 15, something, uh, a pattern making course that really was boring and, <laughs> and discouraged somebody else, you stuck with it. You wanted to figure it out and you enjoyed it. And I re- I feel like you're someone who really enjoys a challenge of, of finding a solution and being very focused and determined to, to get it once you set your mind on it. And I think that's uh, definitely a quality uh, that a researcher and innovator needs and I can see you go on to do incredible work because of these core um, skills and drive that you have. Thank you for sharing and teaching us about biotextiles as well as leather alternatives. I'm hoping that people who are listening in will be inspired by this to realize that there are alternatives and there are there's a new way of thinking about materials when we start thinking about fashion and accessories or textiles in general.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me. I had a really great time and. Um, Yeah, I really enjoyed talking with you about all these different um, (laughs) stories.
0: Thank you, Daniela. It's been my pleasure. I've really enjoyed that conversation with Daniela. And I absolutely love that we can now have leather that is completely made out of green waste and is also plastic free. Wouldn't you agree with me that this really is no ordinary leather? (laughs) I hope you enjoyed hearing about Daniela's journey and learning more about leather alternatives that are making its way into our everyday lives. Definitely keep an eye on this space, it's going to be really interesting to see how the leather industry evolves, where alternatives such as Treekind Biophilica is emerging as very good alternative solutions. How do you feel about this? Will you make the shift from natural leather to plastic free leather alternatives like these? Do you currently own any alternative leather products or accessories? When you use it, does it really live up to the expectations we have of leather products? I would love to hear your thoughts. So please feel free to leave comments on our social media channel or email me. My details are in the show notes and you can also find contact details with Daniela Rondinone here as well. So do get in touch with her if you'd like more information. This brings us to the end of this episode and I look forward to bringing you more incredible innovations from the world of textiles. Until next time, this is your host, Millie Tharagin.